Hello, welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and who love history and food and making things that are either historically or not related. And we normally like to start off by talking about what we've been making and or baking recently. So how's it been going? Oh, the gremlin got me. The gremlin? The, the I can make that gremlin. Oh yeah, how so? I I was in Manchester Landmark Athletic Palace mm-hmm. and there was a red hooded woolen cloak with like arm slits and stuff. Oh, and it was really nice, but it was two hundred pounds. That's a lot of pounds. Um, so for seventy pounds and what remains of my sanity, <laughs> I have made it in five days. That's the spirit. It's got massive pockets, and it's made of blanket wool, which is twice <laughs> as thick as the as the normal Ooh. wool fabric that the place sold. That's count sounds cozy. It's so cozy, and it's so fancy. And the pattern that I found, I'm pretty sure, is the exact same cloak. Fantastic! Your pockets looked great, by the way. Thank you. I I, have... I, I haven't made pockets before. I haven't made pockets like that before. Those are proper pockets. They're so big. Nice, you can fit so many snacks. Like, be because of exactly one time when I did put a tin of beans in my pockets, I do met. I kind of mentally measure like, is this pocket big? By could it fit a tin of beans? These pockets <laughs> could probably fit a tin of hot dogs in each one, and that's a bigger tin. That is a good amount of pocket. That's the thing about making your own things generally, isn't it? Like, it, it's not cheaper for most things, but if you're making particularly clothes, if you want something extremely fancy, it still is cheaper mm. to make it yourself. Um, Even if it means you spend five days hand sewing because you're a little bit scared of your sewing machine and it definitely couldn't get four layers of blanket wool. Oh boy, yeah. (laughs) That is even more impressive. (laughs) But I I finished it day of recording. I was watching um, Pobbly come while sewing the fastenings on during my lunch break. I'm excited to see you wear it to the opera. I will, I will, well, I'll get Nick to take pictures, because it's hard to take a good selfie of a cloak. Yeah. You just you kind of get your face and a hood. you got to see the swish. Yeah. I'll, I'll stand dramatically over the Manchester Ship Canal. <laughs> you should get a picture, like, at the top of the stairs in, where, I, where do they have operas in Manchester? Is there a Manchester Opera House? There is. This is, but this is at the Lowry, where the upstairs is actually an art gallery with a bunch of LS Lowry's stuff. Oh, do they still have stairs you can stand dramatically at the top of? They have an escalator. That'll do. <laughs> They've probably got stairs somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, what what have you been up to? Um. Oh. I made, um, because it was uh, Diwali last weekend, uh, 
I came across a recipe because I follow BBC Good Food on Instagram, like a cool person. And it, it came up with a recipe for an Indian sweet called Bafi and was like, why not try this recipe? Um, and I was like, yeah, why not? <laughs> why shouldn't I? So I did. And so you're saying the gremlin got you as well? It did. It did get me. Um, yeah, because I decided to do that very spontaneously <laughs> um and um yeah so it's uh it's like a milk fudge almost it's made with Ooh. like milk and milk powder um flavored with saffron and cardamom that you cook into like a, a thick paste um and then you leave that to set in a, a tin and then you cut it up into little pieces. And um, the version that I did, I, I dipped it in chocolate and then like scattered some rose petals and crushed pistachios on top. And oh, Whoa, they looked so, so good. pretty. They're so pretty. Um, it, yeah, it was good. It felt like a really like, oh, special occasion type thing. And they were really nice. Um, they weren't like, they're not like super sweet sweets. Mm -hmm. um, but, but they're just really like you can taste the flavorings and yeah really really good and for me a person who has never made anything like that before um it was pretty easy to make actually I, I looked up a bit about um Barfi and there I would probably make a good moment in an episode actually but apparently they're quite popular across South Asia and there are lots of different versions um but yeah it was it was tasty would recommend and uh, yeah quite easy to make um for someone who's never made anything like that before it's no but i do like a fudge i can i can put the recipe on the tumblr so what what is this episode about uh, that was actually... really clumsy phrasing but <laughs> it's friday night what is this episode about um, well, considering I just talked about sweets, this is like on the opposite end of the spectrum. It's a small type of seafood. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about cockles. Oh, oh, I do love a cockle though. Yeah. Um, I actually can't stand them. <laughs> <laughs> it's been some time, so I guess I could, I could try them again at some point, but... Um, I was never a fan. Um, cockles, if you do not know, are a type of shellfish. In fact, they're a bivalve. Um, you sounded which... very defensive there. It's <laughs> a good word. Don't get it twisted. They're a bivalve. They're a bivalve, um, which I believe means that they have like two. Um, separate so a bivalve um, it's specifically a bivalve mollusk um, is a, a mollusk that has an external covering that is hinged uh, and, and has like a little creature inside okay like, like so, mussels and things like that yeah like mussels, clams scallops, oysters and You're cockles. just naming delicious things. 
I should be more adventurous with seafood, but um, yeah, so a cockle is a, a small bivalve mollusk, and you find them on the beach in sandy areas. Um, so they're commonly gathered when the tide is out, out of the sand. Um, and they're pretty little, they're pretty cool little creatures, actually. Um, there's a lot of them. There's over 200 species of cockle wow. that are found all across the world. Yeah. Um, so you have like the common European cockle, which is found all around Europe, but also extending down like as far as Senegal. Um, and then there's other kinds. Uh, so for example, the blood cockle, which is uh, found in Korea and Southeast Asia. Um, yeah, and there's, there's is, just... is it red? Um, Why is it called a blood cockle? I I'm not sure because um, it's not it's not really red. It's just goth. It has kind of got little sort of red patches on its shell. But I'm not sure if that's why it's called the blood cockle. Anyway, it's kind of cockle. Uh, and cockle is fun to say. Um, <laughs> you might know it from the song Cockles and Muscles Alive Alive O. Yeah, I have had Molly Malone as an earworm since you said you were doing an episode on cockles. Yeah, which, of course, is a famous traditional Irish song. Um, you also have the phrase, something warms the cockles of my heart. Now, what does that mean? Um, so, the cockles, apparently, are the ventricles of the heart. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's the, the lower chambers. Yeah. So, like, apparently the cockle comes from, like, the French, like, the, the mollusks are called cocks in French. Um, so I don't know whether it's, like, the cockle is, like, the chamber. Like, the, yeah, the valve. Um, and that's what the shellfish are named after. Or, like, whether it's a separate thing. And the cockles of the heart are different from the cockles of the sea. But either way, that's where the phrase comes from. Okay. But they are conflated pretty much all the time. Um, as, as you will find out in this particularly cool bit of um, trivia that I found out when researching this episode, which is that, so I, I have sent uh, you a gift. Um, you have. On the discard. It appears to be of... A man at some sort of press conference saying it warms the cockles of my heart and doing the little like K-pop yes. thing with his fingers. Um, that is a Singaporean politician of the Workers' Party, Jameis Lin, and he became famous in 2020 for using this phrase. Or warming, warming the cockles of my heart while talking about education in a speech during Singapore's 2020 general election campaign. And Wild. it kind of went viral. <laughs> like, uh, all, all the youth were into it and um, 
cockles kind of became a meme in Singapore and um, lots of cockle dishes suddenly became really popular and they even began putting them in new things like there was a, a cockle bibimbap that became quite popular apparently. Um, yeah. I'm going to have to ask my Singaporean friend about this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, do I would like to and know if they're still... information. <laughs> I would like to know if they're still popular. I will also put this gif on the Tumblr because it's it's lovely. <laughs> it does it it warms the cockles of my heart. He seems so yeah. pleased with himself. He does. <laughs> I have no idea if the rest of the context for this speech or if like he's considered like a good politician. Um it's it, it's just a nice moment. <laughs> um so uh yeah I'd, I'd love to know if they're still popular but um cockles are like a popular street food um across southeast asia um and in many other parts of the world as well um although as we will come to later things are changing in certain parts of the world the reason that cockles got so popular in the first place like around the world and throughout history because there is evidence um so there's archaeological evidence for example of them uh being eaten in wales in roman times and um they're it's it's a very old um mollusk so it's likely that they've been eaten for like as long as people have been around to gather and eat things um, and part of the reason for that is because they are harvested all year round um, in many places. So it's food that's there all year. That tends to make things popular. Yes. And they're extremely abundant, which makes them very cheap. Mm -hmm. Or free if you live by the coast. And also a way to earn a bit of extra money if you live by the coast. Um, yeah, I have, I have been in Fishmonger's... Um, in like North Wales, I think definitely real I've done this where you can just kind of walk in and buy a little pot of cockles in either vinegar or water and you can just eat them with a toothpick. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really popular seaside snack across Britain and Ireland. Um like I remember my mum trying to feed me them when we went to the the beach and I wasn't having it. <laughs> I don't think like visually they appealed to me very much. Um, well, no, they do look like little bogies. They do, um, and I don't know if it's down to like preparation, like the I guess the classic like British seaside way to prepare them is like you say, just a little pot of like the removed um, mollusk. Um, I think usually they're boiled a little bit. Mm -hmm. and then served in a little pot just with vinegar and white pepper and you just eat them but you can also um cook them in the shells and fry them and do like all sorts of other stuff yeah i've heard of them being potted as well i think yeah they can be pickled as well um which makes them last a lot longer um lots of different ways you can prepare them i mean there's a particular type of Japanese sushi, which is extremely rare um, because it only appears in a very short season. Apparently, it's April to May. Um, and 
so it's it's a sushi with cockle um and chefs apparently typically boil it for just a couple of seconds um and then put it on as a sushi topping yeah i could i could get down with that that sounds yeah. nice so that's that's the sort of super fancy and rare end of the spectrum um and then uh it's sold as well in places like cambodia as a street snack um it's pretty extensively used um in cooking across asia and it's also part of the traditional welsh breakfast ah yes apparently i've had this oh cockles and lava bread Mm, fried and bacon fat Mm, how is it i mean i really like cockles and seaweed so it's great (laughs) Uh, weirdly enough given that it's again not massively visually appealing i'd definitely try it i feel like i might like it i mean clearly we just need to go on holiday to wales and you can just try a whole bunch of, of fresh seafood absolutely i i would quite like to try that and i don't think i would get it anywhere else <laughs> so okay that was on the list um just the welsh coast in general <laughs> the welsh coast yeah. um there's a swansea cockle festival beautiful you can put that on the road trip <laughs> um apparently particularly in wales pencloth cockles are very famous uh but they can only be hand gathered um so getting into some of the reasons why cockles can be more or less rare in different parts of the world um they're really affected by water pollution and so they're actually becoming quite expensive for example in malaysia um dishes that traditional dishes that contain cockles are are now quite expensive because they have to import them because of water pollution in certain areas where they're traditionally farmed. And to a certain extent, that has happened across the world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brexit has affected uh, UK cockle, uh, I guess you'd say the cockle industry. <laughs> Another thing that Brexit took from us. <laughs> so because of... Uh, water quality regulations. Um, I don't think I know enough about all of the variables <laughs> to explain that properly, but suffice to say, it's affected it. The sewage being dumped in the ocean. Mm. I know that part, and that can't be good for them. Yeah, that wouldn't help. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there was um, a decree in 1965 um from government which means that um they can only be handpicked to be the sort of license for sale um and why was that is that like an overfishing thing yeah because apparently they would use so they would sort of rake up the sand before this mm-hmm. like using a cart um and yeah that can have a lot of environmental impact so um 
they're sort of limited in quota as well. So apparently the spawning season for cockles is from January to April, and then you can harvest them throughout the year. So, like, yeah, can have a big effect on populations of cockles, apparently. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot more to be said about the cockle um, than you might expect. And now, talking of yeah, actually gathering the cockles, um, yeah, commonly um, either they're hand-gathered or like the, the sand is raked and then people gather them up. Um, as cockles live, they sort of burrow down just under the sand. Um, oh, in fact, I forgot to mention, but cockles have like a foot. Um, when they're in the water, they have a foot that can come out and they can kick. Um, they can jump up to five inches by using their foot. That, I mean, if you'd asked me to guess how far a cockle could jump, I don't think I would have <laughs> seen five inches. Maybe I should have started the episode with that, just, just like led with the, how far <laughs> do you think a cockle can jump? No, um, this fact is only for people who listen to the whole podcast. By the way, um, I got some of this information from a fantastic blog that I discovered called Clams Ahoy. Um, tagline, everything you've always wanted to know about clams, but we're afraid to ask. Um, and the About Us section is, hi, we are Ted and John, just two guys who love clams and other seafood. I support Ted and John. Um, please do. I will also put a link to their lo their blog because it is amazing. There is so much information about clams. Um, it's it's a real labour of love and it's wonderful. It it gave me a lot about cockles. Um, yeah. Um, for example, that not all of them are particularly edible. I mean, they are, but not all of them taste great. <laughs> so, returning to cockle picking. Um, which is the term for the job of finding the cockles. Um, a lot of places this was traditionally done by women who would go out onto the sands at low tide um, and gather cockles as a way of like supplementing income. Um, these days it's more of an industry. Um, and the like sand flats where they're gathered can be really extensive so sometimes the best place to get them is like right out on the sand and um i'm gonna go into something a bit sort of sobering now um because it can be quite dangerous work um and i guess as with many um sort of food industry practices um, there can be really poor working conditions and, and it can be dangerous work. And so there's one particular incident known as the Morecambe Bay disaster, which yeah, took place in 2004. I have heard of this. Yeah. Because um, Morecambe Bay is not that far from me. <laughs> yes. Um, so Morecambe Bay is very famous for its cockles. Um, it's a, and a it's quicksand. And it's quicksand. Mm. <laughs> um, so it's it's famous for having like extensive sandy beaches at low tide, um, where cockles can be gathered. 
Um, it's uh, like a seaside town uh, in the northwest of England, by the way. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, there was this incident in 2004 where, sadly, 23 Chinese migrant workers drowned while they had been out cockle picking. So they were out um, at this sand bank that was, I think, a couple of miles out. Um, it's the confluence of two sort of river estuaries. Um, and they were out at this sand flag flat picking cockles. Um, and apparently the arrangement was that they were being paid five pounds per 25 kilograms of cockles and cockles are small. Yeah, that is incredibly awful and exploitative. And it was early February, so it would be pretty cold and exposed out there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have yeah. been on the Morecambe Sand Flats. Mm -hmm. It gets very windy, even when it's not that windy, actually on the what you consider the coastline, because mm -hmm. it is just barren. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, so sadly, they were out um doing this job and the tide came in very fast and they were cut off and most of them drowned trying to get back to shore um so it turned out that these workers had been trafficked into the country uh, by uh triad gangs and the gang master who arranged the work went down for it went to prison um but the um the English um, contractors who contracted the word. I oh, know the the guys who the workers were working for to pick the puzzles um, ended up getting off, um, despite like clearly having been involved. Um, and it didn't really touch like the wider network of like exploiting migrant workers. Um, so yeah. Uh, there's a film made in 2006 called Ghosts, which uh, is based on that event. Um, and there's also a very sad but beautiful folk song called On Morecambe Bay, um, written by Kevin Littlewood, um, that you can find on YouTube, um, that, that was written about the Morecambe Bay disaster. Um, so there you go. Um... Sorry, getting back to my my other bits. So yeah, that's one other reason why cockles might um what have have been in the news, um and where lots of people might know them from. Um, but yeah, all this to say that the cockle remains very popular, and even though it can seem an old-fashioned food, um, it's still going pretty strong. And if anything, undergoing a bit of a renaissance and very sought after in certain places and parts of the world. Um, so yeah, sorry to end that on a very sad note. Um, but yeah, as I said, there's, there is a lot more to the small humble cockle and meets the eye and I really should 
give them another try. It'll probably be a while before I do, but I'll give them a try. Um, there's the the potted history, if you will, of the cockle. Oh dear. And I hope you enjoyed it. So... RPG ideas should be good, right? But what this podcast supposes is, maybe they don't have to be. The Probably Bad podcast brings you ideas like dire humans fight your GM in real life. And what if there is an eye laser man? Listen to the Probably Bad podcast, available everywhere podcasts exist, and some places where they don't. Heading into our local larder section, what have you got for us today? So... This episode goes out less than a week before American Thanksgiving. So I thought it would be fun to look at the Turducken. I feel like I've heard of this and yeah, what? <laughs> well, rather than me explaining what a Turducken is, I'm going to let Pro-American Football Hall of Famer John Madden explain what a turducken is. Because what it is, it's a, it's a deboned chicken stuffed in a deboned duck stuffed in a deboned turkey with dressing between the chicken and the duck and the duck and the turkey. That was certainly an explanation. <laughs> yeah, so essentially it is a turkey, a duck and a chicken all inside of each other and roasted. So... <laughs> I, was gonna say, I know there was like a Victorian fashion for putting meats inside other meats, right? But this seems to oh, be... Oh, it goes back further than that. Okay. There's a Almanac de Gourmand by Grimaud de la Reynier, who was a lawyer cum gastronomist. Um... <laughs> who put this book out in 1807. The, he has the Roast Without Equal. Okay. Contains, I believe, 17 different types of birds, going from a bustard, which is... A, it's a very large bird. Yeah, a very large wild bird. <laughs> yeah. Um, all the way down to a... Garden warbler, which is one of the smallest birds in Europe. Wow. That's a lot of effort to like it's find. It contained and... a single olive. Um, and we, we do have a similar thing to the Turducken. Um, in fact, you can get one from Iceland some, t uh, some Christmases, um, which is a three-bird roast of a goose, a duck and a chicken. Okay. So, th so three bird roast is the, I guess it's the, the term people use for turduckens when they want to sound more sophisticated. It is quite a silly sounding word. Um, and similar things show up all over the world in ve various times and places, always as a show of, look how much meat we can afford, because obviously for most of history, meat was a status symbol. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, the the word for when you put meat inside of meat is engastration. That is a whole new word. 
I'm not sure if I like it. No, it's not. It's not a good word. Um, oh. But the reason that I brought up John Madden is because I think the most interesting thing about the Tadukan is supposedly it was popularized by John Madden. No way. Um, who is probably best known to people listening to this as the name on the NFL video games, but was a American football coach of you know great renown. He ended up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and was then a sportscaster for about 30 years. And Ata to Duncan on air. Okay. <laughs> As in, like a, a whole one? Or... I, I don't think he ate a whole one by himself. Okay. Um, but yeah, in December of 1996, he ate one on air. Um, the clip that you heard was from 2002, by which time it, it was very strongly associated with John Madden. <laughs> That's why he's explaining it so authoritatively. <laughs> Um, so the, the Tadukan specifically, um, supposedly comes from Louisiana, um, and, uh, chef Paul Prudhomme, who was a, uh, Cajun chef, which is, I find interesting because when I was, I was reading around about the Tadukan, it seems to often be associated with this very middle-class conspicuous consumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it has it has a layer of stuffing between the birds, unlike um, the roast without equal, which I think is kind of necessary to make something dense because there's you don't have the the seventeen bird scale with a turducken. You're gonna have some gaps in between. Yeah, and that's gonna add a lot of moisture as well. Um, so yeah, like, I don't have a lot to say about the Tadukan, just the fact that it was popularised by this, by a football man eating it on air in the 90s <laughs> is just really fascinating to me. Yeah, that's strange, because I've, I've heard of it, but, like, I just kind of accepted that it was, like, a, an established thing, like, it, yeah, like, it was, like, a traditional recipe, if you will. Um... Yeah, some things really are just because of one guy. Yeah, like, endastration, like I say, is it's literally medieval. Possibly earlier, but we know that it was happening in the medieval period. But specifically the Tadukan is like, yeah, it was this guy in the 80s and then this guy in the 90s is just so interesting to me. Wow. It's a young, a young dish. A young tradition. <laughs> I I did have the Iceland three bird roast once. Any good? It's all right. <laughs> some goose and some duck and some chicken. I mean, yeah, it it sounds pretty. It's it's just some meats. Yeah, it's it's a salted bird meat. <laughs> Not that much. The many different flavors, I guess. Like, the duck and the goose taste different to the chicken because two of those are game birds, but. I don't know, it doesn't seem worth the faff that you would have to go to to make one. But maybe that's just me. I guess it's just, well, it's the theatrics of, of it, I guess. 
But also, I'm not a pro football Hall of Famer. What do I know? <laughs> uh, so that is our episode. I, I hope it inspires you to go out and eat either some delicious fresh seafood or some sort of meat abomination. <laughs> um, or possibly both one inside the other. Could you stuff like a cockle inside of like a white bait? Oh yeah. Inside of a bigger fish. Inside of a bigger fish. <laughs> like a fish version. Um, yeah. I, I bet it's been done somewhere. It must have been. There's like a single cockle. <laughs> yeah, that's instead of the olive in the in the. Yeah. Fish. Um, the olives of the sea. I guess they kind of are. They're like plentiful. Anyway. But thank you for listening. Um, If you want to support us, if you want to send Hazel to Wales, you can go to patreon.com slash bread and thread. You want to buy me some lava bread and cockles. (laughs) And wash my face as I eat. And you can get monthly recipes on there as well as access to a Discord server. Which I'm sure we'll have some feelings about the Tadukan. Yes. Looking forward to that one. Um, <laughs> you can also find us on Tumblr. We are at Bread and Thread and we post teasers for upcoming episodes, pictures of things we talk about in the podcast and links. And uh, we... Pictures of that one Singaporean politician. That one guy. Uh, and um, yeah, we reblog re- anything relevant to the stuff that we talk about in the podcast. And you can talk to us there if you, you want can. to. You don't have to. <laughs> but you know, um, the facility. And if you want to suggest an episode or a local ladder, you can message us on there or you can email redandthreadpodcast at gmail.com. So thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.